0: Hello and welcome once again to Ultimate Motorcycling's weekly podcast, Motos and Friends. We've been astonished by the audience that our little show has garnered so far. In fact, after a little over one year of doing this, we've just crossed over 3 million downloads. That is amazing. And we'd like to thank each and every one of you for tuning in and listening to our drivel uh, I mean, uh, carefully crafted entertainment. <laughs> we, we love hearing your feedback. So please feel free to leave comments on the ultimate motorcycling Facebook page, or of course you can email us at producer at ultimate motorcycling.com. At any rate, my name is Arthur Coldwells. This week's podcast is brought to you by Yamaha motorcycles. Yamaha is highlighting the YZF-R7 that launched a few months ago. It's a great mid-level option sports machine that gives the perfect balance between rider comfort and true supersport performance. The podcast is also brought to you by Shoeberth Helmets. This week's episode features senior editor Nick De Sena's impressions of the new Harley Davidson Knightster. This is one of the new generation of the iconic Sportster range and it features the Revolution Max 975T liquid-cooled twin-cylinder engine. This new-gen bike manages to bring the latest tech to the Sportster without losing that retro cool that is so much a part of every Harley-Davidson. In the second segment, I chat with another motorcycle industry icon, Roland Sands. Roland is legendary for his custom designs, and of course now for his racing exploits with his team in the hooligan class. Roland's resume is too long and varied to go into here. So please listen in and get a small inkling into what makes him such a legend. He's actually going to be the guest of honor at the Quail Motorcycle Gathering on May the 14th. So if you feel like a trip to the gorgeous Quail Hotel in Carmel Valley, you'll get to meet Roland and see some stunning motorcycles too. The link for tickets is below in our show notes. From all of us at Ultimate Motorcycling, thanks again for tuning in and please enjoy this latest episode. There's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of supersport machine. It's called our world and the Yamaha YZF-R7 is your gateway. The YZF-R7 bridges the gap between the entry-level YZF-R3 and the prestigious YZF-R1, offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle, as well as experienced riders seeking a fully fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine, inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque, providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or plenty of power for ripping your favorite Canyon curves. Take a closer look at YamahaMotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. I've looked at the pictures I am not particularly a Harley guy <clears throat> despite having owned a couple of them I I do like Harleys but this Nightster is really inspiring to look at I mean what a dramatic change what a cool looking bike I am very impressed with this I'd be I'm curious what what your thoughts are on how it actually rode
1: Yeah it's it's a pretty dramatic change for Harley overall I mean with the liquid Liquid-cooled engines that have been coming out in the Pan America, the Sportster S, and now the Nightster—it really kind of puts the Harley-Davidson riding experience on its head. You know, it's—and I don't mean that in a negative sense. It just takes things to takes things to a whole modern um, riding experience in terms of the way that the engine makes power, its handling, braking capabilities, shifting, uh, ride quality. And I would say, just as a general comment, you know, in every measurable um, category, the Nightster is a step above its uh, predecessors, which used air-cooled 883 or 1200 Evo engines for decades at this point. Um, And you know, the to give a little bit of background for the the Harley Davidson Nightster. This is the second liquid-cooled addition to the modern Sportster lineup, which includes the Sportster S that uses the Revolution Max 1250T engine. And with the Nightster we get the Revolution Max 975T engine. So we're still seeing that uh, typical spread of of displacement between uh, the Sportster lineup where you have, originally you had the, or not originally, but in most recent history, you had stuff like the 883, Evo engine and then the 1200 variant in different models. Now we're going back to that same spread where you have the 970 and the 1250 of the sports for And that's, you know, between both bikes, it's, there's an an appreciable difference in power and feel, riding style, everything. So it's not just a matter of bumping the engine down and sort of taming it, it really does offer a different experience. But you know, tying things back to the nightster, you know, some might have said that the sports rest was a little bit too far in the modern design choice, uh, direction. It uses an upside down fork. It has a swing arm, a tubular steel swing arm with a mono shock. Um, you know, so the twin shocks aren't there, you know, a lot of things that are not really conventional sportster um, design choices in a lot of ways. Whereas the Nightster really brings back a lot of those things. So we have the the peanut style f- uh, fuel tank, we have conventional suspension, so we have traditional uh, traditional fork, twin shocks in the rear, box swing arm, and also a riding position that was supposed to mimic the Iron 883, so one of the most popular sportster models that HD has in its lineup. And that's sort of the Nightster in a nutshell, before we really start digging into this thing.
0: Obviously, a lot of the Harley Davidson ethic is wrapped around, you know, its looks. And the Nightster, I love that sort of bobbed rear fender and the, you know, the low bars, you know, like you say, the peanut tank is just a really good looking. It's got enough retro in it to be really cool, but it's modern enough to make it look just that bit different. So I think they've really, just my humble opinion. I think that this one's a home run for Harley, a really nice bike. But I'm I'm curious as to, like you say before, it's all been air cooled motors and what have you. So so the motor first of all, what was that like, and and how did that go?
1: Yeah, it's it's just a different experience from the air cooled motors. Typically with the air cooled uh, iterations. Uh, or, or just air-cooled motors in general for, for Harley-Davidson, it's all about torque, 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 plus torque, and making that torque as early as possible. So right off the line, you have it. This engine revs up significantly higher than any of the air-cooled motors could ever even dream of. And it also makes a lot more power and torque. Um, so in that regard, it's not, it, it just on paper, it's not the same. But when we, we talk about actually riding it, I would say it just doesn't have that typical American V-twin thud right off the line. You actually do have to spin up the engine a little bit, kind of get into that power band just a hair, and then it has loads of mid-range power that you can play with in the city when you're just sort of putting around and scooting through traffic, or if you go up into the canyons and actually open it up, you know, you're looking at something like 90 horsepower at 7,500 RPM and 70 foot-pounds of torque at 5,000 RPM. And that peak torque number, you know, that's right in the, right in the middle of the rev range because the, the red line for the uh, Revolution Max 975T engine is something like 9,500 RPM. So getting to peak torque, quite easy. It spins up nicely, you know, it has a very exciting way in the way it actually gets into its power. It's never kind of over your head and I would say, in comparison to the Sportster S's 1250 RevMax engine, I would say the 975T is a lot more approachable. I'd say it's a little more user-friendly and probably more fitting of um, uh, of a cruiser application in a lot of ways. Right. That 1250, that's a that's a serious engine right there. And this thing, you know, it's making numbers that are they're nothing to sneeze at. Totally respectable. You know, a lot of uh, middleweights, you know, kind of naked sport bikes are are in this realm, give or take. But I would say it's just a very user-friendly motorcycle. And when you look at the lower displacement Sportsters, which always had a slant of appealing to an entry-level or intermediate rider, I would say that fits more with that design brief, whereas this engine is a lot more friendly. But yeah, it spins up nicely, you know, revs up super smooth because it's counterbalanced and you know it's just a a really modern engine and i think it rips i think it's a really cool engine so
0: the 1250 engine um that's the one that's fitted in the pan america adventure bike adv bike correct and and this is just a smaller version a 975 version of it so is it just the same engine just sleeved down a little bit or is it a completely separate engine that Really is really very different.
1: Uh, so it uses the same sixty-degree architecture and the same architecture in general. And yeah, you know, to be brief, more or less that's true. You know, it has a smaller bore, shorter stroke, um, but there are some other changes too. And you still get all the benefits of you know the modern RevMax twelve fifty engine, in the sense that it still has variable valve timing. And in this case with a smaller displacement, they opted to have variable valve timing on the intake cams only. It also uses one spark plug per cylinder instead of dual spark plugs per cylinder. Again, that's just because in this smaller configuration, engineers deemed it unnecessary to have that dual spark plug set up. Now you still get the finger follower valve train and hydraulic lifters, which really contribute to its ability to spin up a lot more aggressively than an air-cooled motor ever could
0: right sure.
1: so you know finger of valve trains are dime a dozen in super bikes and it really frees up the motor's revving abilities just because the valve train is much lighter hydraulic lifters are a huge benefit um you know maintenance is next to none you're not sitting there worrying about valve adjustments every handful of thousand miles that's awesome Then the counterbalancers just keep everything dead smooth. There's still enough life in it to, you know, really consider it a twin, but it's not this vibratory little engine just shaking around in a chassis, you know, to kind of sum it up. It's like all those changes do change the experience in the sense that you get way less engine braking, way less vibration, but you get boatloads more performance.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I'm I'm with you on that one. Obviously, no sort of quick shifter or anything on the gearbox. I mean, but is the gearbox, um, you know, sort of big and clunky and traditional or is it a, a lot more user friendly?
1: No, I mean, if you presented this gearbox to me in, you know, a modern naked bike or anything like that, I would be totally unamazed. <laughs> and you don't mean that in a bad way. It's A totally modern shifting experience. Again, modern is the buzzword for talking about the nicer or the sports dress, but it's true. We've ditched the stereotypical chunky V twin gearbox, which, when you're thinking about an air cooled or air oil cooled engine, it does fit the aesthetic and the riding experience. You know, you need that big, meaty gearbox. But For something that's a lot more free revving, a lot more excitable. Internally, much more lightweight, really. Yeah, you know, so it uses the same six-speed gearbox as the 1250. Okay. Um, So it pulls no punches there. The only thing that I did notice is the actual shifting actuation takes a little more effort than what I experienced on the sports duress. Um, Not sure why, but for whatever reason, you know, the shifting is super positive really smooth it might be just a break-in thing yeah i mean our bikes had super low miles so it could be break-in. who knows but the big benefit over the the 1250 is that the clutch pole is insanely light (laughs) i mean so that's that's a big benefit in in traffic or you know when you're trying to rev match and that sort of thing sure you know and along with these these sort of modern um, amenities you know comes riding modes we have sport road and rain um, you know, sport, to be honest, it has the most aggressive throttle mapping. I would really like to use that map more often. It's just a bit abrasive in its on off, you know, it's a bit snatchy sure. and that can just become taxing, whether you're at low speed or high speed, there's kind of no way to get around it. It's just kind of abrupt. Now road is the Goldilocks mode of all three where it has more than enough punch when you're riding around to traffic. And in the canyons, I found it more than exciting, especially when we're riding, you know, a cruiser. I don't really need this hyper aggressive throttle map. I just need something that's going to give me a good throttle connection to be cool. So road definitely fits that bill. Rain tames things quite a bit, and um, you know, as I described it, suitable for any deluge that you might be faced with. Um, so it does cut horsepower by something like fifteen percent. And it really softens the throttle response. I mean, by a huge margin, um, and also kicks up the the rider aids as well. Now, the other rider aids that we get are uh, traction control and ABS. You can disable TC just at the push of a button on your right hand side. There's no multiple modes or anything like that. It's either on or off for ABS or TC. Okay. TC is a little, a little kind of, you know. Um, interacts a little bit early, especially when you're taking off on the line, I would assume to just try to counteract some of the torque that you might be dealing with on the bottom end. Um, right. Which is a little interesting because this engine doesn't make power in the same way that the air-cooled version said, where it's just torque immediately, it builds into it. So you do have a very soft, approachable bottom ends. Don't really think the TC needs to be that, that aggressive there. Um, and then... You know just there's a little bit of just that hint of ride by wire sort of throttle vagueness on the at lower rpms too so a little bit of a learning curve there when you're first getting to, getting to know the bike but it, you know that takes a handful of miles to get used to so it's not that big of a deal
0: sure i noticed that uh it's belt drive um obviously makes for a smoother experience on the road i would imagine that's sort of quite interesting that it isn't a chain drive bike
1: yeah, I mean the air cooled motors, and traditionally Harley has used the the belt drive. Um, now, when you think about a modern, you know, high performance engine, generally speaking, you don't see belt drives there. But big advantage with belt drive is that on a road going machine, you have little to no maintenance. You don't have to oil it. Um, you just have to check the tension at the specified service intervals. So that's pretty awesome for cruiser owners. Yeah. And yeah, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So that I think that's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Okay, well, moving right along, um, what's the the, the chassis like? I mean, you know, to me, twin shocks and non-inverted forks tell me sort of old school. So is this old school basic suspension or is it fairly sophisticated suspension that's
1: made to look old school? The latter. And okay. visually, that's what they want to do. They want to make this thing look more in line with a traditional sportster and really invoke that, that sportster heritage. Um, now, suspension-wise, all that stuff works pretty well. And this really goes into the talk about the chassis, which is uh, a, a completely modern thing. As we said, modern is the buzzword here. You know, If it's a drinking game, you're probably going to have alcohol poisoning soon. But um, you know, it uses the 975T engine as a stressed member. So you have a front frame that bolts onto the, the front of the engine, uh, subframe bolts on, and then the swing arm bolts onto the engine via bracket. And that saves a ton of weight, something like 80 pounds when you're comparing it to various sports remodels over the years. This bike comes in at roughly 480 pounds wet. So in the cruiser cl- class of motorcycle, that's on the leaner side of things, and like I mentioned before, way lighter than prior Sportsters. Now, handling-wise, night and day. It's not even really night and day. It's different planet when you're <clears> talking <throat> about older or cold Sportsters. Uh, those had a lot more frame flex. The suspension was significantly harsher because they were heavier motorcycles, had to use uh, heavier spring rates, harder damping just made for a much harsher ride overall in this case you know they've improved that by leaps and bounds handling wise the thing just wants to tip in and you use up third all the 32 degrees of lean angle and hurry to the point where you're basically chamfering your boots uh, because it's got these stubby little foot pegs but I mean yeah your boots have to be sacrificed in the name of of fun
0: yeah yeah mid controls mid foot con- controls rather than yeah you know feet yeah, forward yeah. or anything so uh, but i i assume that the aftermarket will come up with something with slightly raised foot rests and and i'm sure there'll be some forward controls and things that
1: yeah yeah i mean the pna catalog as per the usual for harley is full of everything that you could ever want but I mean, <laughs> right. handling wise the chassis stiffness is just exponentially greater because the engine is the chassis sure. as with you know that's that's basically how modern sport bikes work yeah so the twin shocks offer three inches of travel uh suspension travel
0: that's not great but it's enough probably
1: yeah not great but much better than before if we're using a direct comparison to the harley davidson 48 uh, which is still available in the in the u.s market so that's a 1200 Uh, evolution motor powered Sportster that has something like 1.8 or 1.6 inches of suspension travel so pretty minuscule and um, yeah the ride equates to as you'd expect fairly harsh (laughs) in this case you can actually feel the damping is there you know a a big hit will still come through the chassis a hard-edged hit is still going to be felt but not anywhere to the degree of prior sportsers, which, in my opinion, were pretty punishing. Yeah. You know, especially riding around on freeways with the big expansion joints, you'd go over that at 60 something miles an hour and just boom, really get it. The fork, it's on the compliant side. So, you know, the shocks are still a little bit stiffer than, than the fork. That's okay. Um, still on compliant side, but it soaks up everything nicely. So, when we talk about handlings and suspension, way better than before i mean like way better (laughs) right and you know just talking about the weight we do have to turn the attention a little bit to the fuel tank which is not going to sound totally normal until i explain it the fuel tank that you guys see in the photo it's not a fuel tank that's actually the air box so the nice little round air cleaner that you say that you see in the photos is also just an basically uh, an air intake cover. Uh, there is no air cleaner in there. That funnels air into where the air box sits, which is now where the fuel box is, and the air air cleaner's in there. The fuel tank is actually under the seat, behind the engine, and in front of the uh, rear wheel. Now, it does a couple things here. One, it's a modern thing. You know, that's a very modern design choice, and For me, I just kind of give a little bit of a golf clap to Harley for adopting that practice. Two, the beneficial thing outside of me congratulating Harley engineers, which they clearly don't care about, is uh, (laughs) it lowers the center of gravity by a lot. So that that fuel tank and all of its weight, uh, 3.1 gallons, is now lowered just a few inches off the deck.
0: Much more centralized, yeah.
1: Yeah, not only is it more centralized, but the, the center of gravity is way lower. So that's going to improve uh, low-speed handling as well as high-speed handling. But just when you pick up the bike off the kickstand, you're like, oh, okay. You know, that that 80-pound figure that they just told you in the presentation really comes to, comes to light where you're like, oh, it is 80 pounds light. Right. And distributed much better. Centralization is much better.
0: Well, the other thing I was going to ask you about the fuel tank is... It is as cool as the fuel slash air box, it's going to be pretty small what's the fuel capacity like are you going to be looking for a fuel station every every 50
1: miles. Yeah, so this is one of the things that we were all talking about, but something we didn't include in our review because it's not data that I can accrue on my own, as you know, during a press ride we're not the ones filling up our own fuel tanks. Often it happens at launch stops. So they'd keep topping off fuel. It's hard to get accurate fuel data. Now 3.1 gallons of fuel in an engine that you're liable to rev out and really just wring its neck on because you can, and it's fun, usually equates to not the best fuel mileage. Harley claims that you're going to get 54 miles per gallon, which gives a fairly significant, uh, theoretical range. Now that's if you ride as if you don't care about the fact that you have a ripping engine underneath you. Now, when you really start twisting the throttle, you're going to use a lot more gas. And, you know, that's kind of what we did. So (laughs) fuel mileage, I would say that 54 MPG is pretty optimistic. (laughs) So, you know, anyone that is used to Sportsters, used to smaller fuel tanks, you know, At about a hundred mile mark, you're not running out of fuel or anything like that, but you've definitely used a good bit of it. And, okay, you know, with the riding position and the thinner seat, you probably want to get off, have a nice little drink of water for a couple minutes and top off. You'll be good to go. So that's kind of my opinion there. But as far as fuel economy goes, we're not, we're not, we're, we're better than the sports years of old in that category. You know it's still carrying a pretty light fuel load overall and you combine that with an engine that sort of eggs you on to use it right you're going to be using some of that fuel
0: sounds like it would be nice if there was another half gallon or something in
1: there yeah
0: okay it is what it is so brakes i mean it looks like you've got decent brakes on it
1: yeah um braking again step forward in that regard you have a radial master cylinder very cool and steel-braided brake lines. Again, got to give kudos there because uh, performance benefits. You also have a single axial mounted four-piston caliber and 320 millimeter rotor in the front. I would say overall feel and power is there, especially when you think about what the Nightster is supposed to be doing. You know, it's a cruiser first and foremost. Yes, it has a chassis that can be used and an engine that's a willing accomplice for any sort of... uh, you know, spirited riding that you'll be doing in the canyons. But even in that context, I would say these brakes work very well. Um, if you're a more aggressive rider, you're that sportier Harley type of guy or gal. Yeah, another caliper and rotor in the front would be beneficial, but I can't fault what we have, especially when we think about what this bike is supposed to be doing. So sure, I'm more than happy with a braking hardware that's on here in the rear. Single piston caliper with a 260 mil disc in the back, totally competent in every regard, and just the setup of that that mid control um, brake pedal and everything, I, I think it works nicely, especially when you're cruising around town and just kind of darting through traffic and you know really just sort of barely leafing the rear brake, but um yeah, you know, braking wise, totally totally happy there. It just looks like a like
0: a really cool bike. I, I suppose the last thing is, you know, the ergonomics. I mean, clearly it's got a very low seat height, um, nice mid controls, um, sort of shoulder width handlebars. Is it, does it ride as comfortable as it looks?
1: Yeah, I would say because of the chassis and the benefits that you've gained in terms of that end and the ride quality, it is more comfortable than sportsers of old. Now they did mimic the iron 883 rider triangle to really, tie the nightster back to its, its uh, sports your forefathers you know one of the the other aspects that they really wanted to drag some of that old school dna back into the mix and interestingly enough one of my good friends has an iron 83 that i have sat on quite a bit and yeah it's very reminiscent of that the mid controls shoulder width handlebar low seat height which is 27.8 inches i mean this thing is low 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 like i can just step over the bike which is kind of funny but um you know comfort wise i would say i do pretty good on it uh i'm not too cramped you know the bike does feel compact and sort of maneuverable like a sportster should it's not supposed to be this big bulky thing right and right i would say i'm pretty solid the only thing that i do have a criticism about is the seat itself you know it is some denser foam like i mentioned earlier that can just be a little taxing. But wind protection wise, and you would never guess this by the photos, quite good. In um, riding on at the freeway, at freeway speeds and and above, there is almost no wind protection available here other than that little shroud around the round headlight in the front. But because you're sort of sat in the bike and your your arms aren't too wide, you don't turn yourself into a sail. And I was actually pretty happy with the wind protection here. So. Riding position wise, I would say I'm, you know, four out of five. We just need a, a just a bit more plushiness to that seat and then we'll be really dialed in. But still, you know, these aren't, the sports has never been, um, at least out of the box. It's never been a long distance motorcycle. It's been that short to mid range bike. You can do longer rides on it. You know, when I say longer rides, I mean several hundred miles over like a weekend Sunday with your buddies and whatever. But, um, you know, it's not supposed to be that we're going to ride from California to Sturgis, sort of bagger, sort of deal. That's not what the Sportsters thing is.
0: Sure, yeah, you you, you can do anything on any motorcycle, but yeah, but clearly they're all targeted towards slightly different um, usage, and and the Nightster, you know, obviously has its niche and clearly does it extremely well.
1: Yeah, the only really like knocks that I have are kind of aesthetic things. I mean. It's liquid cooled, so you can't hide the radiators. That's totally fair. Triumph is definitely the king of integrating old school with new school and being extremely tasteful in that regard. In this case, there are some miscues in terms of just wire routing that could be cleaned up a little bit. And you know the fuel tank itself, uh, the plastic airbox cover, we should not plastic airbox cover, the airbox cover, we should say, um, you know, if you look at it from the front, you can actually see some of the wiring and connections underneath it. And I remember asking an engineer about that. I was like, hey, you know, a lot of people have knocked knocked the bike just because you, you look at it up close and you can kind of see some of the stuff. And if you look where that, that faux peanut tank cover is, it actually lines up directly with the VIN number sticker and all that information that legally needs to be on a motorcycle. And his explanation is that if they kept dropping the tank to cover up everything and really make it super clean aesthetically, it would start conflicting with that sticker. And that's where they needed to place that sticker. Now, that was just an explanation from one of the engineers. And I was like, oh, okay, Wow, I've heard some
0: some BS factory speak in my time. But that really seems like it might take the cake. You mean to say that because of the placement of a sticker on the frame. They've had to compromise. That is nuts. That can't be right. That cannot be right. Re- relocate the freaking sticker somewhere
1: else. I mean, I-, I gather it has to have it, of course. That's nuts. Well, that's one of those things that, that to be honest, I don't entirely know enough about uh, DOT compliance to comment on. I don't know if that, that frame sticker needs to be there. Maybe it does. I mean, I don't, maybe. It might. I don't
0: know. With all the the fucked up regulations that we have on, on DOT in this country, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. I suppose where you know it has to be three millimeters across from the top frame and the central axis of yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay, we'll give them the we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But I gotta tell you, my instinct is is BS on that one. But okay,
1: you yeah, know, I'm gonna take the. The positive uh, or optimistic take and just say maybe they're on something because in truth right or reading a lot of the manufacturer stickers is kind of a challenge sometimes so eh, maybe who knows but um yeah aesthetically a couple miscues in that regard but like overall so a little bit a little bit of tidying up
0: needed but as i said at the at the top of the the show this to me this is a flipping home run I love the looks of this thing and just the way they've done it. I like just the compact aggression of it. It just looks fantastic to me. What a great bike! Love it.
1: Yep. Yeah, I, I was very impressed with it, and you know, it goes in line with uh, another motorcycle that we recently reviewed, which is the uh, Indian Scout Rogue, okay. and that came out in its first iterations as the Scout in 2015, and really pushed the ball forward for an American V-Twin offered a much more modern riding experience. Now Harley's coming in and really focusing on the performance aspects with the Nightster cruiser, as well as the sports dress for that matter. And I think this is really going to start pushing the ball forward for some of these American V-Twin manufacturers that are going to start focusing on performance capabilities while still honing in on what the faithful enjoy about their products Is it an absolutely modern take on the classic Sportster? Absolutely, without a doubt. You know, the air-cooled Sportsters of old offer a much different aesthetics and it presents much different engineering solutions as well as challenges. And so do liquid-cooled bikes. Now, I think they've done a lot to cater to the faithful's needs in terms of, you know, aesthetics with the suspension, wheel sizes, peanut tank, and all of those things, the the riding position, but performance, this is night and day above prior generation Sportsters. And that's something that you can definitely take home. And, you know, I just really dug the engine overall, especially when you're pushing it. So I had a lot of fun on this thing. I believe it.
0: Okay, all right. Hey, thanks. Appreciate the insight really interesting bike it's really nice to see harley davidson uh, stepping up into the modern era without losing a lot of their their heritage and the good stuff about the brand so yeah very impressed good stuff thanks a lot yep no worries 2022 is the 100th anniversary of shoeberth helmets head protection technology made in germany The DOT version of the new C5 launches in June, and it offers a revised fit with customizable inner pads for comfort. Increased ventilation with a new chin air intake and rear exhaust spoiler. Increased safety with a new EPS material and anti-roll-off system. And a locking mechanism to hold the chin bar open. It's also pre-wired for the new SC2 communication system offering mesh by Senna. Learn more about all the new features at Shoebirth.com. The new Shoebirth C5. Endless evolution. In this second segment, I chat with another motorcycle industry icon, Roland Sands. Roland is legendary for his custom designs, and of course now for his racing exploits with his team in the Hooligan class. Roland's resume is too long and varied to go into here. So please listen in and get a small inkling into what makes him such a legend. He's actually going to be the guest of honor at the Quail Motorcycle Gathering on May the 14th. So if you feel like a trip to the gorgeous Quail Hotel in Carmel Valley, you'll get to meet Roland and see some stunning motorcycles too. The link for tickets is below in our show notes. From all of us at Ultimate Motorcycling, thanks again for tuning in and please enjoy this latest episode. There's a place where the track meets the street where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of supersport machine it's called our world and the all new yamaha yzfr7 is your gateway discover how the yzfr7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance take a closer look at yamahamotorsports.com or see the yzfr7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. You and I didn't meet a long time ago, but we were both racing Big Willow at the same time. I was, oh, uh, uh, I was racing Open Superbike when you were racing uh, your 250. Wow, that was a lot. So sorry to make you go back a long way, but (laughs) sort of mid nineties. Yeah. I remember seeing Roland Sands. So you've really come a long way since those days, haven't you?
2: Oh, since racing two fifties at big willow. Yes. Since (laughs) since then for sure, you know, um, back in the days working for my dad. And now we're here in new facility in long beach and, you know, now we're throwing races at, um, with Moto America racing baggers of all things and road racing hooligan bikes and you know have our whole brand and products. So it's it's changed a lot. I'm still I'm responsible for a lot of things right now. You are but the, the bagger racing thing
0: is really has ignited something with, with a lot of people, hasn't it? That you know, the, the hooligan class and, and that. Yeah,
2: we you know, we find ourselves in the middle of the most odd projects. Um, <laughs> Bagger racing really being, um, you know, an example of that, where you're trying to jam a round peg in a square hole, and um, it actually works sometimes, you know, like, and the bagger thing is definitely a good example of that, where you're taking a lot of engineering and design and development resources and throwing it at something that originally doesn't seem like the best idea, but then turns into something that works pretty amazing in in the end, you know.
0: I think so. I mean, there was I mean, I definitely heard a lot of sort of naysayers when it was first announced, uh, And you know, the sort of so-called purists, you know, were like, well, how can you that's not real racing? Oh, certainly. I'm like, real, ra- real racing is racing anything. You know, American V-Twins are substantially the largest market in this country. And anything that brings a lot more people into the racing world, to my way of thinking, cannot be a bad thing. And, and it's funny, it ignited a lot of passions. And it turns out the racing is really good.
2: <laughs> I mean, I was originally one of those naysayers. I mean, I thought it was a really dumb idea. Um, I still think it's kind of dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the entertainment value of it is is really where it's at for people. you know they're getting to see something. Uh, that they haven't had an opportunity to see before. And like you said, I mean, it's the largest, in America, it's the largest group of bikes that are sold is this B-twin uh, bagger highway bike category and, and seeing how they now come together on the racetrack and do what they're doing, the lap times that they're running, the speeds at Daytona. We were, you know, up in the high 100, 168 mile an hour um, and lap times that would have qualified for the supersport race.
0: I see a lot of young people on the road riding diners and and what have you and sort of with high footrests on and so they're American V twins and they've got sort of you know club bars and, and a sort of a club look to the bike you know and I see Olin's shocks on the back and I'm like this young guy is a rider he is not this is not a guy who's you know cruising around on his dad's you know, on his dad's old Harley. Yeah, This is a guy who likes performance. And I I like the way it's helping change that whole reputation of, you know, old Harleys don't go fast and what have you. Harleys are really well-built bikes and they do go fast. And of course the Indians. So I think you're really helping change the perception of of, of V-Twins and and bringing young people in, which to me is very exciting.
2: Yeah, I, I think that, you know, The culture owes a lot to these kids that have come in and started, you know, essentially riding wheelies, doing burnouts, showing the performance of American B-Twins as it started. Guys, you know, a lot of guys wheeling in there, Fixars and dinas, and starting to show like, whoa, these guys are riding these bikes way harder than we ever imagined they would ride them and then taking the same thing to baggers and stunting baggers and, uh, you know, guys like sea bear and, you know, the unknown crew and senders only. And, you know, there's all these groups of riders that are really pushing, um, what's possible stunt wise on a V twin. Then that down to the everyday rider on the street who now has the ability to jump on a Dyna that actually works and handles really well, or a bagger that works and handles really well. And we're just, Kind of the tip of the spear of that with bagger racing it's like we're really breaking completely new territory completely new grounds um you know i don't i don't think that the baggers as they sit on the racetrack right now are something that someone's going to want to ride on the street because they're a little bit uncomfortable because <laughs> what it takes to get them off the ground what it takes to get them not drag on the ground but you can take a lot of that performance and push it down to the street the suspension the brakes you know, the bodywork, the hand controls, the risers, you know, just a lot of different performance products that could make the bikes work so much better than they work stock. Sure, I think Harley's even talking
0: about making a sort of a kit of these various parts. And for you, for, for somebody sort of at the sharp end in, in retail terms, that's gotta be pretty interesting as well.
2: Yeah, for sure there's a business there, you know, Harley doesn't do things just to do them. and. Um, I mean, they got—they definitely got pushed into this fight, just really as Indian did, um, you know. It's like two tough guys standing on the sideline, and all it takes is just a kick in the ass to get him in the ring together, and then gloves off, you know. And that's what—that's what, that's what we're see happening. I mean, you know, Indian kicked Harley's ass in flat track. Um, right. for the past couple years, and I don't think Harley is going to want to let that happen again, and you can see they've thrown a lot of resources behind their team, and Kyle's a really quick rider, um, and the Indian factory, you know, it's, it's like the, the tables have turned a bit, because originally Harley was making the horsepower, and I think Indian might have a little bit more beans right now. And then last year it was like the Indian chassis was better. And now the Harley guys have their chassis working fantastic, as you can see at Road Atlanta. So um, yeah. they've made huge strides, huge strides with chassis, just suspension and handling and body position and, and everything else, you know, cause those guys are pushing now, they really are. Sure, sure. So how did the, how
0: did the hooligan class come about? And I mean, other than the obvious lack of bags, what would you say are, are the differences between those two?
2: Um, I mean, there's there's quite a few differences. And the bagger starts out as a bigger bike, you know. Um, the The hooligan class really came from our dirt track racing and came from short track racing. We ended up racing some half miles. We raced some asphalt ovals and some kidney bean stuff. So we've done TT stuff, um, but it was just kind of a matter of time before. We started putting hooligan bikes on road race courses. And as Bagger got popular, it was like, yeah, we we gotta get the hooligan bikes on road race tracks. And to me, it's always attractive because I love I love to see naked bikes going fast. Um yeah. now we have this class of naked bikes with flat number plates that really kind of take took me back to the AS 70s and 80s and you know, watching guys like Bubba Schobert and Eddie Lawson and Wayne Rainey and um, you know. Even uh, Eddie Lawson back then, and even um, uh, Kenny Roberts, you know, riding around on these like like the flat number plates. And I wanted to see that aesthetic happen again, but I wanted to see it happen on on bikes with modern technology, modern slicks from you know super sticky Dunlops, and the right tire and wheel sizes, and get the bikes working right in the right geometry. And then all of a sudden, you have really exciting racing with high bars. And I, I mean, I'd love to see it be what I think and what I hope can be um, the world's premier naked bike class, which I think
0: it could head there. I, I'm struggling to think of a naked bike class that's better than that right Right now. I mean, Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, think, I think you're kind of, you're already on the cusp of that.
2: I, I hope so. And watching the race last weekend, you know, you got Jeremy out there and Tyler and you got Andy DiBreno and you got Corey West um and those guys were nose to tail you know every lap of the race oh yeah Um, and it was entertaining and they're riding the bikes very hard you can you can see oh yeah yeah. moving around and it's like that's that's what we're that's what we're paying to see you know that's what we want to see i i don't give a shit about winning unless it's earned you know right see the boys out there doing what they did and like it was like going from saturday to sunday making this all this progression just based on getting the chassis better um i mean it doesn't hurt when you guys guys like tyler o'hare and you know in in your corner and jeremy mcwilliams those guys are great development riders and they are showing and teaching us the way to make these bikes work the way they want them to work and it makes a huge impact and and like you say i mean ultimately it will help it will help the street
0: bike you know kind of side of things and And I think it helps bring young people in, you know, it's like, okay, so this bike has got cool up the wazoo, but you know, it was a bit of a slug, but wait a second. No, this thing is actually pretty dang quick and I can, I can get a lot of power out of this. So I think it's, you know, uh, cool and respect also will kind of go hand in hand with these things. So, so I think it's, it's not just bringing up the brand of, of, of the two main manufacturers, but I think it's bringing up the brand of racing in general.
2: It, it starts to feel more accessible for people when they see bikes that are in their garage at home. and They go, oh, they're racing my same bike, and it kind of looks the same, which our FTRs, well, Corey's bike in particular had a lot less modifications than even our bikes did, and Corey's bike works fantastic. Corey West, right. um, Yeah. Deloitte. I mean you know he won the first race i rode atlanta on that thing and um it's phenomenally a fairly standard bike so there's yeah they work they work good they can work really good
0: right so so is this like a big distraction from you know your real business a massive fucking distraction <laughs> <laughs> Welcome distraction I'm sure.
2: <laughs> yeah luck, lucky for me I have some really talented people that I work with here at the shop so and when I'm off when I'm off messing about racing and you know trying to figure out how to go fast around a racetrack right now um, I got a team at home that makes sure that those things don't get skipped so, um, okay. yeah, so yeah but still it's still a big <laughs> distraction. <Yeah.
0: laughs> So, are you are you still building custom bikes? I mean, I'm sure you're not going to give that up. You must have some sort of custom bikes. You got you, you. I'm sure you got the wrenches out somewhere.
2: Yeah, always, always. We we're always. You know, we're about. Well, we're probably about a year out right now for custom builds. So um, the tough thing is that my boys are spending a lot of time um, working on race bikes versus our custom bikes. So try, <laughs> yeah. probably even a bigger struggle is making sure that we're still focused on building those. Those bikes that we're supposed to be building in the shop. So, yeah.
0: Obviously, you've got a big history with performance machine and your dad. I mean, how did how did that all sort of get started? I mean, how did you really get into that? How did your dad get into it?
2: I guess. Um, my dad was building. He was building parts um, during his off time um, for a group of guys out in Long Beach and um, in Paramount and kind of Southern California in general, and he decided that man, he started, he needed to make a couple runs apart. So he was putting Springer front ends on bikes and putting performance forks on Harleys. These guys were building big motors, so they needed to stop faster. So he started adapting brake calipers like um, um, Lockheed calipers to bikes. And that turned into him wanting to develop his own brake caliper. And he was kind of, he was a chassis guy, you know? Um, Ah, Okay at how to make these guys' bikes turn better and work better and handle better. and That went into then fitting wheels on the bikes. And, you know, he was originally sourcing like Morris Mags and Kim Snowflakes. And at the time would have been Mitchell spun aluminum wheels. And he just started to make his own stuff and it blossomed into a, a pretty thriving business.
0: Your talents as a designer and builder really kind of helped showcase that business as well and and showcase a lot of parts. And again, I'm sure that probably inspired a lot of people, didn't it?
2: It was a cool time for sure. I kind of had the design reigns at PM, so I was able to throw a lot of what I thought was cool into the mix for a really long time. And um, yeah, I think it changed changed the thought process of what custom parts were, I think, a bit for V-Twins specifically. But it was also like we were we were building high performance product as well for what what I thought was like, hey, I'm almost going to fool these guys into putting high performance parts on their bike because they didn't really care that much. So I was like designing a high performance aesthetic into the billet stuff that we were making for big V twins, you know, but the cool thing you could you know you could charge accordingly so you could put some effort and time into the parts instead of just building like square billet chunks of shit you know so if if a if a young guy is sitting there and he's looking at his bike and thinks well
0: i don't have much money but i want to do something to my bike what what would you think
2: is like the, the first thing to tackle what's what's the first thing that you would do to a bike I mean, it depends what you want out of it, but I'd start taking everything that's not necessary off of it. Right. <laughs> Take it off, strip it, and then figure out what's important to you. you. know, Do you want to go faster? Do you want exhaust? Do you want to stop faster? Do you want the bike to handle better? And then throw the parts at it that are right to do that. Right, so what's, uh, what's next for you? Oh shoot, what's next? Um, coming to the quail. In a couple weeks. Yes, I hear that
0: you are going to be your emceeing it, or you're the, the sort of uh, the honorary guest or something.
2: I guess I'm the guest of. I don't know what they call it anymore. The marshal, the guest of honor. Right. Are you going to have any bikes there to display? Or yeah, I think we're going to bring. Um, we'll bring Frankie Gar- We'll bring Frankie Garcia's race bagger with us. Nice. And then I'll have another couple of different bikes that we'll bring as well, just to kind of show what we're doing and bring a couple customs up with us and um, some for me to ride around on on Friday. Cool. How's things going on the apparel side
0: of things? Because I know you do a, you've do you done a lot of really nice jackets. I think I've got a, got a nice, you know, RSD design jacket. So uh, what's going on on that side of the business?
2: Uh, we keep developing new collections. So uh, we just came out with something called, it's called the Track Collection. Um, a little bit higher end, but really, really beautiful leather. It's probably the most high quality leather that we've ever used. It's also a waterproof leather, so it's like this just nice, beautiful leather. It's just nice to the touch. It really conforms to your body. So we just keep working on new materials and new cuts. Um, and we've got another V Twin line that's coming out called the Seventy Four Collection as well. So that'll be out in probably about. Uh, in three months two to three months we'll have that stuff all in stock
0: so yeah 74 as in the year you were born yep very nice <laughs> I wonder how many people will pick up on that
2: I wonder we tell the story occasionally some people care <laughs> and a whole shitload don't <laughs> <All right>. tea <laughs> about your life the shit that you care a lot about yeah you're the one that cares about it as much as you do
0: yeah that's so that's so true
2: do you do you get to ride much yourself at all um you know these last few years I haven't been riding as much as I usually ride, and probably more just to due to family life and babies and you know business and uh and everything else a super short ride from my house to my to where i um to where I work so it's just like for me to put my gear on for a two minute ride is just like. It just, yeah. it's just i just want to keep going yeah like right by work right but um yeah i get to ride i get to have fun still
0: well i i guess what i'm sort of getting at is is going back to my original point i mean you are a racer hardcore through and through do you get to ride them and say you know let me take it out for a couple of laps and um or do you get to do track days on them or
2: if we're testing i'll ride the bike for sure um i mean i i road race the ftr a bit I've raced our bagger a bit, um, not not raced it, but just ridden them on track days, um, and I put my input into the bikes. But um, it's I haven't yet ridden the new FTR. Yet we the first time the bike was ridden, the new bikes were on the track at Daytona, so uh, we haven't got as much testing as we'd like to get. Um, it's just been the time was so short, and with COVID bullshit, it was so hard to get parts. That was probably the biggest challenge for for anybody building the race bike to get ready for you know early 2022 so um yeah i mean i definitely want to go do a track day on the ftrs and ride them now that i know where they're at because they look like so much fun to
0: ride they really do don't they i mean they're great street bikes to start with What, what was it that sort of pushed you in the direction of indian rather than harley to start with um
2: i think indian when Indian first kind of showed up back on the scene, they were really looking to make their mark, you know, in the space. And I'd had a relationship with Polaris for a long time. I used to work with them on victory, um, you know, long time ago. And the Indian brand with the Indian brand coming up, my dad was also an Indian fan when he was younger, um, but he made most of his dough Golden Harley parts, like, which was kind of what I've done, you know, for my whole life. So it was, it it was a bit, I don't want to say strange, but like, for people to look at us like we're Indian guys, you know, which they do now because of racing. Um, I do not say it's the best thing for business because we saw so many Harley parts, but, um, you know, it, more than anything, we're just motorcycle fans and I am non-denominational when it comes to like the over overarching, uh, want to ride just about everything. Yeah. You know, Yeah, and every brand is really good at different things. I mean, whether it's a KTM, a Ducati, a BMW, um, an Indiana Harley, you know, I'm a fan of really everything on two wheels. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Exactly the same. Do you
0: ever get to ride any real old bikes? I mean, uh, I mean, obviously the quail is, is somewhat focused on sort of more vintage and more you know classic type of bikes.
2: Is there anything in there in that lot that you're going to look at? Um, I've got a 19, I got a 1946 Indian Chief Chopper that my dad that my dad built when he was 19 years old. That he got the frame back and that we got running. So that bike's in the shop. It was a bike I built for the Born Free show last year and I think that one may make its way to the quail as well.
0: Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, my best friend owns uh, a 1942 Indian Scout that was once owned by Steve McQueen. Oh, wow. And uh, and he's got a a chief and the Scout, and so we periodically sort of ride those around Southern California, take them off to the rock store or whatever. That's awesome. And let, let me tell you, you have not ridden a motorcycle until you've gone foot clutch, you know, hand gear change, yeah, the whole thing it's busy and fun it really freaking awesome
2: yeah yeah i like that i i love riding handshift bikes and bikes that are just weird you know f- yeah freak on the on the on the other side and it's, everything is flipped around like on old triumphs and like yeah the indians are suicide suicide shifts um you know foot class and it's <laughs> it's it's a handful you just have to give yourself like plenty of space because it doesn't have a front brake it's just got a rear foot brake and that thing don't work that good oh
0: all, all of these old bikes have almost no brakes i mean i yeah. sometimes wonder if i could stop the thing better by sticking my feet down i mean you know but uh but yeah it, it, it is fun you know the old adage of it's you know it's fun to ride a slow bike fast and a fast bike slow you know and uh it's great just riding those things around yeah, very cool. Where are where are things going now? Just more racing and really trying to develop this hooligan
2: class. Yeah, we're gonna see what 2022 has or 2023 has to offer now and see where we can take it. We've got um, you know, Laguna Seca coming up in in July. Um we're going to Road America now. So we're taking the bag of Road America. We're gonna finish up the last of the bagger races with Bobby Fong um we'll be taking our whole circuit circus i should say the whole hooligan circus and bagger circus out to laguna seca for the moto america race we've got um a dirt track short track race coming up in southern california Costa mesa and then october 15th at the end of the year we're throwing um a big event on the beach in southern california with red bull oh awesome it's not officially announced yet so i won't get too deep into it but um they will be racing on the beach again, October 15th. That's great. That's great. Excellent. Are you finding that the uh, supply chain is, is starting to ease up a little bit? Or I think things are getting a little bit better, but I think if you ask the manufacturers, they probably would say no. Yeah. That's what We're seeing the biggest issues right now is the OEMs are, aren't able to ship the units that they have orders for because of supply chain issues.
0: Right. Yeah. What a shame!
2: Freaking COVID. Tough one. I mean, think the motorcycle industry. You wouldn't think that they'd be in a situation where they can't ship. They have orders, but they can't ship bikes. I never heard of that happening in the past. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Well, cool. So, if anyone wants to
0: to uh, you know follow what's going on, is there a, a sort of an easy way to to follow you guys?
2: Yeah, certainly. Um, you can go on our website. It's Rollinsands.com. Follow us on Instagram at Roland Sands Design uh, as well. Same on Facebook at Roland Sands Design and uh, check it out. Yeah, we're we're on we're on the feeds all the time, dishing out the social medias and all that stuff. So um, people hear what they have to say. And, you know, hopefully we could see some people at the races and come up and say hi and let the riders know that they're doing a good job. Well, listen, uh, thank you. I really appreciate your time. I'll look uh, look forward
0: to seeing you. Probably at Laguna. See you at the races. Awesome. We'll see you out there. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, man. See you later.